Good morning, Mercy Road. How you doing? Yeah, I can tell you're doing all right this morning. That's good. Will you put your hands together? Welcome those who are attending live online right now. We're glad you're here and hope you connect with God. Share this service. You can turn the volume off on your phone here too. Share this service live. I'm telling you, we could make a big impact this morning uh, with today's teaching. Hey, if you are new with us, we want to welcome you. We say it every week. We desire to be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. So wherever you're at spiritually, thank you for joining us on this beautiful, beautiful rainy weather. We've had some great weather, though, until today, haven't we? It's been great. Um, But today, we're going to do something just a little bit different. While we're always studying God's Word together as a church family this morning, we're doing some very simple Bible teaching to talk about some very important things. But before I get into that, I want to celebrate all that God has done over the last week. We put our hands together and welcome or thank the hundreds of volunteers who made all of the Easter weekend services happen. And if you are new with us, again, we desire to be the hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints, that nobody's too far from God experienced life change through Jesus. And on Easter weekend, we saw that very thing occur And so if you're new, welcome back. We're glad that you're here. We saw just at Mercy Road Carmel, uh, seven people follow the Lord largely in spontaneous baptisms on Easter weekend. Yeah, you can celebrate these things. Uh, We saw a minimum of 41 people give their life to Christ here at Mercy Road Carmel. We saw almost 2,100 people come and worship Jesus together here at our local church family. But then get this. Because of the way that you all sent people out, hundreds of people in the last few years, uh, there were more Mercy Road people worshiping in other Mercy Road churches than even at this location. There were over 4,300 people worshiping in the Mercy Road family of churches last weekend. Over 80 people total gave their life to Christ. More baptisms occurred, more baptisms happening this weekend. In fact, uh, Northeast even had over 1,500 people at Easter, and they just got started like two years ago. The Anderson Church hasn't even launched yet, and they had a pre-service with over 200 people at it, and four people committed to get baptized. I mean, it's cool what the Lord is doing. And we can often miss that in today's culture, what's happening. And then through Multiply Indiana, which we started as a part of this greater umbrella to reach the state of Indiana for Christ and planted 28 churches over the last six or seven years, there were thousands more worshiping there, many more giving their life to Christ, and and all over the state now, all the way up to South Bend, Indiana, LaPorte, Indiana, Bloomfield down near Bloomington, Indiana, different parts of Indianapolis, literally rural, suburban, and urban inner city churches all working together to advance the gospel, the majority of the church plants this year have been in the inner city in Indianapolis. And so you may not see all these things happening, but just like Jesus said, repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. We're seeing the kingdom advance in our lifetime. And I just want to share all that and celebrate with you because what we're doing at Easter is remembering because of his resurrection, he not only atoned for our sin on the cross, But by rising from the grave, overcame death. He had victory over death itself. And you ever wonder, then, what does that mean in reality? Like, what's that mean for your life? What what does that mean when you die? What happens? 
Over the next several weeks together, we're gonna be looking at the afterlife of what happens after your physical body is no longer working. And I hope it encourages you to see that because of the resurrection of Jesus, everything has changed. You ready to study God's word together, church? Turn with me, Hebrews chapter nine, verse 27. Turn there, I'm gonna read it in just a moment. As you're turning to Hebrews 9, 27, uh, anybody seen uh, the Super Mario movie yet? Wow, this is the service. Last service, they were like, what's that? You know, I'll tell you, uh, I got three kids, so we went to see it. And as uh, somebody who grew up on, like, the original Nintendo, come on, real video games? Did you play that game? Super Mario won. It's not like these lazy games today. It was so hard to win, wasn't it? Until you learned, like, the secret tubes to get you to, like, level eight right from the start. Who knew how to do that? Yeah. And, but here's what I'll tell you. You know, life isn't a video game. I remember when uh, the Super Nintendo came out and Super Mario World came out, and I thought, these are the most amazing graphics my eyes have ever seen. <laughs> and as like an aging kid now, I was like, this is still super cool. And I learned very quickly on Super Mario World how to get 99 lives. Anybody know how to do that? Dude, you never had to worry about dying again. You could play that game as long as you wanted, lose as many lives as you wanted. And I think sometimes in life we approach it like, well, I can't control things, and so I get, you know, I'll do my best, but in the end, uh, I'll just try again and try again and try again. And life is not like a video game. We get one life. In fact, if I can encourage you, I don't mean to discourage you. If you're here today and you're like, well, I get one life, I I already messed that life up. I want to tell you, God is in the habit of redemption. And some of the greatest stories, if life is a long line, if eternity, sorry, is a long line, this life we live, whether it's 50, 75, 95, 105 years, this life we live is like a little dot on the long line of eternity. And with the short time that we've got, what we do matters. But if you have already made many mistakes in your life, some of the greatest uses of our life is the redemption story of God that he could use your mistakes to impact others and change the course of eternity because of what you do with your life now, starting today. And that's what I want to discuss. Here we go. Hebrews chapter nine, verse 27. It says this, just as people are destined to die once, you get one life. What we do with the time we've got truly matters. And if you've made some mistakes, it truly matters what we do with the moments that we have left. And after that one life, to face judgment. So Christ, with sacrifice, wants to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. That the Bible says that Jesus was crucified, resurrected from the grave, so we could share an eternal life. And that one day he's going to return, he's going to put the world right. And I believe that the Bible teaches that when the thief on the cross gave up his life. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Then when we die, we go to be with Jesus. And one day he's going to return. It'll be a new heaven and new earth. And we will live in perfect paradise for all of eternity. That's essentially a summary of the entire sermon today. So you can check out for the remaining 30 minutes. No, I want to get into the details of what does that actually look like? What does it actually mean? What does the Bible actually have to say about this? Because here's the big picture that I want to paint for you. What you believe about death and eternity will determine how you live. 
There are lots of ways to believe about death and eternity, by the way. Different religions have different perspectives. From the Hindu background, and this is an oversimplification, but if you live a a good life, you will be reincarnated in the next life as something that was a good thing to live as. If, If you're a Buddhist and you live a good life, you will experience a certain form of enlightenment and experience here and now. If you're an atheist, that when you you die, it doesn't matter what happens. It's all just a chasing after the wind. And so when you die, your body just simply decomposes in the ground. If if you're uh, from the Islamic background, that if you live a really good life and Allah is pleased with you, you will share in paradise. And if not, you don't. If you're uh, from an agnostic background, that essentially I don't know, but when I die, the reality is going to happen regardless of whether I took the time to figure out what I believed or not, right? The Christian belief is different than all of those. And sometimes we have like cafeteria Christians, you know what I'm saying? Where you're like in the line and you're like, I'll have a little bit of this and I don't really want any of that. I'll have a little bit of this. And we do that not only with the Bible, but sometimes even other religions. And what our views of life and death and eternity often get shaped by things that are not found in scripture. I wanna tell you what we believe about eternity will shape how we live now. And that's what I wanna discuss. Will you pray with me? God, uh, it says that you will judge us at the end. And we'll talk about that this morning, God, but, but I come with no judgment. I have no authority to judge, God. I, I'm, I, you are the only one who can judge. And so this morning, as we study your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would supernaturally speak to us practically in our lives, that we would have clarity on the subject, God, and that we would use the life we've got now. We only get one. There's no redos. So God, use this life now, where we're at, even with our mistakes, to further your kingdom purposes. God, we claim your spirit in our life. Use this this morning. Speak to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's family said, amen. Amen. Uh, Remember when you were a kid and how many of you ever played the game of telephone? Come on, this is like in, I have a communication degree, which you're like, that's not a real major in college. Yes, it is. Uh, and, and I know how communication works, and you can do this simple thing by playing telephone to see how we can often get things distorted in communication. One person shares a message uh, with somebody, and then that person shares it with the next person, who shares it with a different person, who shares it with a different person. By the time you get to the sixth or seventh person, the original message is so distorted and perverted, it doesn't even make sense anymore. The original message was like, hey, I'm driving to the grocery store to pick up some milk. And the final person hears there was an alien spaceship that traveled to Mars and came back with some groceries, right? Like, we can get very distorted views when we get six or seven uh, phones removed. And what I want to tell you is, in a world where we have all of the internet at our fingertips, different podcasts available, different books and spiritualities available, different religions with different beliefs that I just shared with you, the Christian belief is very different than those. See, Christianity does not say those things that I I shared of those other worldviews previously. The Christian worldview is that you will never be good enough in this life to be in the presence of God. In fact, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. But the way that we get to experience eternal life is because Jesus atoned for our sin on the cross, resurrected from the grave like we studied together. And because of his work, 
He paid the price so that we could be made right with the perfect God. As Invitus said on Good Friday, the temple curtain, which was this very thick curtain that separated the spirit of God and the holy of holies from, from the rest, that that temple curtain was torn in two, that the spirit of God no longer resides in a building in the Ark of the Covenant, but now our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, that we can commune with God in this life, and that when we die, we go to be with Jesus. And all of that is because of his work, not our work. It's by his authority and power that we get to share in that, that we aren't good enough, as another religion might say, or that we don't just carry on the good works that we've done. I want to describe what the Bible actually says. And here's what I find. Some of you, you've grown up Christian, and so you believe in God, at least some version of God. And you might even believe in like, like heaven and hell, but you don't really like know what to make sense of it. And so we've got a little bit of the Bible in there. We've got a little bit of like the movie we watched about, you know, like, ghost or something. We've got a little bit of the podcast we listened to this last week. We got a little bit of the meme that we clicked on on Instagram because those are always 100% accurate. We've got a little bit of what, you know, crazy Uncle Joe said to us one time in passing. And and the next thing you know, we've got this conglomeration of a, a, a theological worldview based entirely off of something that isn't found in the Bible. If we want to go back to the original source, the first phone call, Where do we go? We go to what, as a Christian, I'm talking as a Christian, we go back to what God's word says in scripture. And so over the next several weeks together, we're gonna be looking at death and eternity and the afterlife and what that looks like according to the biblical teaching. It's really simple this morning. We're just simply teaching the Bible and what it says about these things. Because as Christians, if atheists believe you decompose in the ground and Catholics believe in a purgatory, a holding place, and, 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 and others believe in reincarnation and others believe in just an enlightenment, the Christian worldview is very different. Jesus paid the price so that we could be in the presence of a perfect God. So let's get into the specifics then. Go back to the source. Today is answering this question. What do we know about death? What do we know, according to the Bible, about death? Well, number one, if you're taking notes, death is certain. <laughs> one in one people in the room will die. Well, that was a really encouraging sermon this morning, Pastor. You know, I, I, the reality is, unless you were Elijah or uh, the priest Melchizedek in the Old Testament, you are going to die and your physical body will no longer work, which is what Hebrews 9, 27 and 28 was getting at. Let's look at it again. Just as people were destined to die once, And after that, to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Everybody's going to die. So if you're going to experience the afterlife in heaven, what is the means after death to do that? What did it say? It's only through Christ that that occurs. I know a lot of the people where, where I grew up, they would often say things like, you know, I don't know which religion is right. I grew up Christian. I just believe if I do more good things than bad things, then in the end, when God looks at me, he will say, I'm a good person, and so I'm in. I totally get why in a moralistic world why we would have that concept, but that is not, let's be clear, that is not what the Bible teaches at all, like not even close. It says very clearly There's only one means of it, that Jesus paid the price, and it's through surrendering your life to Jesus as Lord that you have an experience after death 
of eternal life. John 14, 6 says it this way. This is Jesus' words. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. We are all born with a sin nature to reject God where the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and Satan, until Jesus returns, is still at work getting us all confused on this subject. Get us to go find our sources of truth from the latest podcast or the latest like spiritual thing that we looked at or what our friends said or this book that we picked up rather than going to what does scripture actually say about what happens to us when we die. The only means to being in the presence of the Father is through Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. That's why it's good news, by the way. Because if it was determined by whether or not I was a good enough person or you were a good enough person, you would never be without sin like Jesus was and be able to be in the presence of a perfect God. Now, here's the thing though. So if you're like, well, then I, I got to understand this Christian worldview more. Maybe you gave your life to Christ recently. You even got baptized at one of the Easter services. I want to encourage you, if you have never been through Rooted, that's where for 11 weeks you're in a small group studying God's word, looking at the Christian worldview and what we believe about all of these things. If you've never been through it, now is the perfect time. Usually the spring session is our smallest session, but because of how many people we've been having connecting to the life of our church, I'm asking you to make this the biggest rooted session we've ever had. Now to do that, you gotta simply sign up today on a connect card or go right out there in the lobby. We have a table set up with a clipboard, like old school. You don't have to do anything digitally. If you're digitally challenged, you just go right out there and put your name and email on the clipboard, and you are registered. We are ready to go. We're going to make this thing happen. And it kicks off 10 days from now on Wednesday night for 11 weeks together in a small group learning about how to be rooted in Christ. So number two, if you're taking notes, one is death is certain. Uh, what do we know about death? Number one, death is certain. Number two, the soul and body separate upon death. Now, this is where we get into some deeper theological things. And, and I believe that you are intelligent human beings and you can handle this. Well, most of you, some of you probably can't, but we're going to do it anyway. Uh, here's, here's what it says in Matthew 10, 28. This is in the gospel of Matthew. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. So there's a difference clearly between body and soul. Now, again, to the atheists, you're just all physical matter. When, when you die, your body decomposes, and that's it. But to the Christian, you have a physical body, uh, but you also have a soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, as we get into this, we will talk about that those who have received Christ and salvation in Christ alone, that because of his work, we get to spend eternity in paradise with God. And those that choose to reject God with their life, that they will be separated from God for eternity in a place the Bible refers to as Gehenna in Greek, which is, we know as hell. And I know that in today's culture, because we all have family members, myself included, loved ones, friends who don't believe in Jesus, aren't a Christian, and it feels very judgmental and exclusive to say that a Christian would go to heaven because of faith in Jesus and someone who doesn't have faith in Jesus would go to a place that we know as hell. I understand how, how uh, difficult that is to teach, but here's what I need to share with you. Two things. One, 
that is what the Bible teaches. And if the Christian faith is to go back to the original source of how we are to live, we're going to be studying that together. And number two, that is why most pastors and churches avoid that subject altogether. And I'm not telling you, we don't control anybody in this room. You have the choice to choose what you believe, including those online. But we want to present to you what the Bible actually says and allow you to make a choice on what you believe. In fact, I know this is such a difficult subject to talk on, and so we'll be teaching on it in the coming weeks. I knew it was so hard that I asked Pastor Nate to preach on it. So (laughs) be praying for Nate as he prepares for that. Should be a fun week. I don't know. I'm not doing it, so go Nate. Uh, but I do think this stuff is incredibly important. And I think that the reality of these choices really matter. But our soul goes to, to be someplace. And you're like, okay, well, what is a soul? We're just getting simple Bible teaching this morning. What's a soul? Well, the, the Greek word for soul in the New Testament was psyche. Now, here's the problem. We often, in today's culture, we try and modernize that. And so we read psyche and we put it like in a 21st century psychology or psychiatry background. And so we assume it's just the mind. That's not to the ancient Greek what that word meant. Homer used the word psyche and it was to represent your soul that went with you to wherever place you went after death. Even the non-Christians in the Greco-Roman world believed in the underworld, okay? And so your, your soul, your psyche was what the human part of you that carried on, what, the way that you are, what's unique about you carries on. That your, your, your physical body dies, but your soul goes on. Now, the Bible talks about that there are actually three parts to every human being. There is the body, soma in Greek. There's a soul, psyche. And then there's the spirit, which is pneuma. And the spirit is the, the spiritual part of you, the eternal part of you, that when you die, your soul and spirit go either to, to be with Jesus or, or go away from him, as we'll describe in the coming weeks, to not be with him in the place that he describes as hell. And the reality about that, that separation of that three parts, if you're like, I don't get it, there's three parts to me, I don't understand. Like, let's keep it really simple, that your physical body dies... And the part of that is eternal with you, the after part of you, carries on to the next stage. And, and that there will be representation of who you are now. Now, here's the thing. Jesus one day will return and change all of that. So let's get real clear for just a second. I believe that if you uh, died today, I was thinking about this just this week. My grandmother, she was this amazing uh, Christian woman who passed away many years ago. She was this amazing Christian woman who uh, grew up speaking Pennsylvania Dutch. She, she moved here from Southern, her family moved here from Southern Germany and were settled here a long time ago. And she still uh, kind of came from like a Mennonite or Amish background and spoke Pennsylvania Dutch on her, when her last hours of her life in the hospital room. She was singing hymns of praise to the Lord in Pennsylvania Dutch. Didn't realize she was doing it, but as she was preparing to go and meet Jesus. I believe, if you know Jesus, that when you die, Jesus said to the thief on the cross, not someday, but today you'll be with me in paradise. 
Now, on all these things for 2,000 years, great Christians and theologians have debated these things. Martin Luther and John Calvin, early reformers of the church in the early 1600s, they believed in something called soul sleep, that when your physical body died, your soul slept until Jesus returned, and then it woke up. So it felt like you just died that, that moment, and you woke up, and it's eternity. But I don't think that's what the entirety of Scripture teaches, because Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. That is the eternal part of him, the soul and spirit moved on to be with God in the other place of heaven where only God and his angels resign and those who have surrendered their life to Jesus. But one day Jesus will return and put the world right. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. The old order of things are gone. Behold, he has made all things new. There's no more tears or death or sickness. The old order of things have passed away, but there will be a physical place when Jesus returns then where heaven and earth come together like the original Garden of Eden, the original paradise story, Finally, things will be as God intended it from the very beginning. And as we said at Easter, Jesus hasn't returned yet because he is patiently waiting until the last person surrenders their life to Christ. But there is this separation at death, at least, of your, your, your soul and spirit from your physical body. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth, which was confused about these very things, and said this in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.1. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Now, tent, what's it talking about? This, this is a temporary dwelling, a tent. Uh, that's what the word tabernacle was. Then they built a big tent in the Old Testament for the presence of God. It was just a big tent and they called it a tabernacle and God dwelled there, but now he decides to, desires to dwell in us. But that temporary tent that we all have one day is no longer going to work. Look what it says, verse 2. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened. Anybody in here, the older you get, you groan a little more and burdened a little more by your physical body? <laughs> I, I'll tell you, you know... Uh, I used to play a lot of sports. Uh, basketball was my favorite. I haven't played basketball in years because I, I just get frustrated because I can't do the things I used to do. Anybody with me on that? And uh, I'm the only one? No? Uh, and then so recently, as I'm aging, I, I picked up ten tennis again. I hadn't played in years. And like, I could still do some of that. And I was playing this week. And I went to make a shot. I've made like a thousand times. And my body just wouldn't do it. It is so infuriating, frustrating. And how many of you, you, you are more on than years than me, and you're just looking forward to when that parts of your body that stopped working start working again, right? Amen. <laughs> the, body, or the, the, the Bible tells us that well, when Jesus returns and all of this occurs, you, you, you will have a resurrected physical body again, and it's going to be perfect now, Right? So when we get to heaven, Eric Maitland and I are going to be like six foot four. <laughs> Prepare yourselves now, right? For some of you uh, guys that were follically challenged at a young age, you're going to have like thick Fabio hair that's going to like blow in the wind. And you're like, that's a very old reference. Yes, it is. But you get what I'm saying, right? Like I was talking to Brad this morning who had an accident at 19 years old, looking forward to that, you know, restored physical body. If some of you were like, yes, I want that, there'll be no more sickness, no more death, no more cancer. The old order of things will pass away. Behold, he has made all things new. 
that you can look forward to the day that things work again. And I want to tell you, you know, I gave some vain examples. I don't think when we get to heaven, you're going to care whether you have uh, thick Fabio, Fabio hair or look like Zac Efron or what. But I think when you get to heaven, you're going to be praising God that everything works again and everything is perfect. This temporary tw- tent is just here for a moment. On the long line of eternity, it's just the dot. But we will give a, get a perfected body for all of eternity. As it goes on in verse four, we groan in a burden because we do not wish to be unclothed, but be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. This perfected thing, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. The one who is fashioned for us this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. While we're in this temporary physical body, we're away from the Lord. Paul longed to be in the presence of God. Verse seven, for we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would rather prefer to be away from the body at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him. We only have so much time. So what we do with it now, we want to please him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad which brings us to our third and final point, that what happens to us when we die, death is certain, the soul and the body will separate, and number three, you will face judgment. Now, how many people in here like to be judged? None of us like to be judged, right? Like, I don't like to be judged. I want to tell you, first of all, I'm not here to judge anybody. I'm simply here to teach what the Bible says. But the Bible is very clear when we die, we will have a moment of judgment. And I'll tell you, if, if that scares you, I find in our, our culture today, judgment is such an awful thing because no, we all hate being judged by people. Shoot, sometimes we're not even being judged, but the way they said something made us think that subconsciously they might be judging us. And so we get very frustrated and angry at that person, right? And end relationships over it. What I want to tell you today is that the perfect guide of the universe is the one you want judging you because he knows what is true. And the Bible tells us that there are two types of judgments that God is going to do at the very end. The first one, he's going to judge us of whether we have salvation or not, and that's going to be determined by whether we have faith in Jesus. Revelation 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. He's seeing the, the, this, this judgment seat of God. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life, of whether you got into eternity to be in the presence of God. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. But then if you look to verse 15, it says, anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, how did you get your name into the book of life? It said that repeatedly throughout the book of Revelation to the one who is victorious in Revelation 2 and 3. It says it seven different times to the one who overcomes. And the only way that occurs is not by your good works, but by the works of Jesus. The means of salvation is by receiving his grace and forgiveness because of his atoning sacrifice and resurrection from the grave and devoting your life over to him. 
2 Corinthians 5.10 that we read said, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. That the first form of judgment is whether you have salvation, whether you've received Christ or not. But there is another form that sometimes we don't talk about. That for those who have surrendered their life to Jesus, you won't be judged on whether you get in or not, but you'll be judged to represent those who have truly lived for him or not. That's what it's saying in 2 Corinthians 5.10. In fact, the, the word here for judgment in Greek, the judgment seat, it's using this analogy of the Olympic Games. The Greeks invented the Olympic Games. At the Olympic Games, there was the Beamer Abema judgment seat where the judge would sit to determine where everybody placed in life, in the race. And the analogy in the Bible is life is like a race. When you get to the end of it, what gets you in, what helps you win is what Jesus did. But there will still be representation of what you did with the time that you had. I'm gonna put some of these on the screen to give you some examples. The incorruptible crown will be a representation for some. 1 Corinthians 9, the crown of righteousness. 2 Timothy 4, the crown of rejoicing. 1 Thessalonians 2, the crown of glory. 1 Peter 5, the crown of life. James 1.12 and Revelation 2.10. That for those who have truly lived a life of sacrifice, it will be given representation eternally in heaven. Not because any of us are great, but because in humility, the first shall be last, the last shall be first, Jesus said. Those who chose to humble themselves as an act of surrender, the martyrs of the faith, who historically were burned at the stake because of their faith in Jesus, beheaded, Hebrews 11 said, lived destitute, hiding in caves, simply because they were so adamantly living out their faith for Jesus. There will be representation for those who have truly humbled themselves in this life. So if you're here today and you're like, well, you know, I know that Jesus is the only way to get into heaven. It's not by my works. So what if I just live a life of sin and do a whole lot of fun things, right? This is most American Christians. And then when I get to my deathbed one day, I repent of all of it. <laughs> right? And I'm getting in. I'm sliding in the back door to heaven. Well, I want to tell you, yes, at any moment, even at your last breath, if you're 98 years old and you've been living apart from Christ, if you surrender, repent of your sin and turn your life over to Jesus, yes, the Bible says very clearly you will have salvation. But you will have wasted the time God gave you. And this little dot, this little time is the only time we have to make an impact for what's going to be all eternity of who's going to be there, our family, our friends, our loved ones. It's the only time we have to, to help people who are in need because there will be no more need anymore in heaven, no more illness, no more poverty. We can finally rest. Now is the time we have to live on mission in a way that we won't be able to do for all of eternity. And there will be representation of those who truly have. 1 Corinthians 3, 13 to 15 puts it this way. A person's work will be shown for what it is. Because the day, talking about the day of judgment, God is on that bema seat looking at us and, and giving out crowns, representations of those who have lived for Christ. Because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be someone just escaping through the flames. 
I want to know that the life I did now, that I went back to the source, to God's word, and put my time, my talents, my treasures, my beliefs, and invested it into his desires for my life. That I don't live out the enemy's plan to be confused what happens next. And to say, I'll take a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Or like, you got lots of lies. Like if the life isn't a video game, you get this one chance to make an impact with the life that you've been given. If you have messed up with 50, 60, 70 years of your life, it's not done. And some of the greatest uses of our lives is allow God's great redemption story to demonstrate how we can make the old be gone, the new could come. You're a new creation. The old is gone. The new is here. And what I want to challenge you as we close out is to think about this. So that example of the Olympic Games, there was an Olympian once named uh, Louis Zamperini. Anybody familiar with Louis Zamperini? He, uh, he ran in the Olympics as a, as a distance runner, and he, uh, he was taken in World War II to a Japanese internment camp after serving, and he was there for a long time. And he eventually escaped. And while he was out in the middle of the ocean on a raft, they actually made a movie about this. It's called Unbroken. It was made by Angelina Jolie, actually. But he's out on the raft and he prays to God. And he says, God, if you are real and you saved me, I will dedicate the rest of my life to serving you. And lo and behold, somebody shows up and they save him. And he gets back to the United States. And you know what he does? He doesn't serve God initially. Like so many of us, he continued to kind of run away. And there was even some stories that he, he got into alcohol because we all have means of escape. We get into, maybe it's alcohol or drugs, or maybe we get into romantic relationships. We just busy ourselves with work or our kids' sports career or shopping or whatever we can do to just avoid the reality of this world and what God wants to do with your life. And eventually, Louis Zamperini woke up. And he started going, I'm not going to do it anymore. Enough is enough. My time, talents, and treasures are yours. And he reached hundreds of thousands of people with the gospel all over the globe. And I wonder how many Louis Zamperinis are in the room who you've been running the race of life. And it's time to say, I'm going to start living for the judgment seat that really matters. Running the race with perseverance that he's marked out for me. And I want to give you that opportunity to do that this morning. We pray with me. God, I thank you for this church family. I thank you, God, that we don't just have salvation, but we can use the short time we have on this planet to live on mission. So we pray, Lord Jesus, that if there's anybody here who maybe has been Christian for a while, or maybe just recently committed their life to Christ, to you, Jesus. But today they're going to say, I, I want to live not just for salvation, but I'm going to live for eternity now to use the short time I have to live for heaven to come, to lead my family and friends to you, Jesus, to help those in need, proclaim the coming kingdom of God. If that's you here in the room and you want to be a person that lives for eternity, pray this with me right now, Jesus. I'm going to stop living for the things I've made this life about me and the busyness and the stuff that I desire. And starting this morning, I commit my time, my talents, my treasures, my finances, everything in my life to you as Lord Jesus. Use me. Use me with the time I got left to make the biggest impact possible. Teach me through this series how to live for eternity. We love you, Jesus. We give you this morning. We pray this in your name and all God's family said. Amen.